Good evening once again. The Apostle Paul says this in Romans chapter number 5. <clears throat> For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Christ died for the ungodly. Such a pithy, such a powerful little gospel statement from the New Testament. Lips and pen of the Apostle Paul. Christ died for the ungodly. Uh, what is Good Friday all about? It's about this. Christ died for the ungodly. What makes this day good? This very statement. Christ died for the ungodly. Well, what's goodness? It's called Good Friday. But what's good? What is goodness? It's that perfect and most ultimate of actions of God's benevolence and his grace and his love as expressed in his son, Jesus, Christ died for the ungodly. And so just to meditate upon that little phrase tonight, Christ died for the ungodly. Christ died for the ungodly. Our English word Christ comes, as I mentioned a few Sundays ago, uh, for those of you who are here, uh, Christ uh, comes from a Greek term, uh, Christos, which is a Greek equivalent of a Hebrew term, Mashiach, uh, both mean anointed, uh, or an anointed one, an anointed one. And that's what was done in the Old Testament. For generations, uh, the Israelites had anointed with oil in a, in a very uh, powerful and, and very ceremonial public uh, way to put oil on the heads of prophets and priests and kings as a way of showing that they were set apart from everyone else for a holy and specific purpose from God. Not all of God's people were kings. There was one king. Uh, not all were prophets. There were some who were prophets. Not all were priests. Only some were priests. In fact, only one of the tribes, of the 12, uh, one of the 12 tribes of the Israelites. And so they were anointed. And this idea of anointing prophets, priests, and kings, these special people for special tasks in the Old Testament... Uh, that, that came to embody the idea that one day there was going to be one man who would fulfill all of these tasks, and they called him the Messiah, Mashiach, the Messiah. There would only be one. And in him, all prophets and all priests and all kings were to find their realization, to find their fulfillment, and the world would find its Savior, Christ, we are told then. That Old Testament anointed one, that Messiah, that coming Savior to bring to God's people as a prophet the words, to bring to God's people as a priest, a once and for all sacrifice, and as king to lead them out of bondage to sin. Christ died for the ungodly. We find that Christ, that Messiah, that anointed one, that one Savior in whom all of these offices and tasks of prophet, priest, and king come true. We find them all in one man. As Christians, we believe that that one man is Jesus of Nazareth. 
Jesus of Nazareth, who's also the Son of God. He's both God and man in one person, our divine human Savior. He is that Messiah. Christ died for the ungodly. That's the gospel statement to us tonight. Christ, this Christ, Jesus, was anointed by God by the power of the Holy Spirit to be the Savior of the world. Christ died for the ungodly. Today, though, we're, we're so radically into ourselves. And it's been this way for hundreds and hundreds of years. Uh, philosophers talk about the so-called turn to the self, the modern turn to the self, and uh, they debate when this happened, sometime in the 17th century, no, no doubt. But this turn to self, and we are so infected, so radically infected here tonight as I presume, citizens of this nation. If not, we are uh, here as sojourners amongst this nation. But we are so radically into ourselves that we don't think that we need someone else. Christ died for the ungodly. One Supreme Court justice uh, once very famously wrote in a, in a very famous uh, uh, ruling by our Supreme Court these words that really encapsulate the modern idea of self. At the, quote, at the heart of liberty is the right to define one's own existence of meaning, of the universe, and of the mystery of human life. And that justice really encapsulates this idea that you and I are products of. We, we belong to our society. We belong to our world. And it tells us constantly, it bombards us every single day that it's all about us. It's all about you. You can create your own reality. That's at the heart of liberty, according to that justice. And that idea is now playing itself out in our society. But the Christian faith stands contrary to that, doesn't it? The Christian faith is countercultural in that way. The Christian faith, so amazingly, as we might, on the one hand, lament all well, the society, the culture is going to hell in a handbasket. Well, on the other hand, it gives us more and more opportunity to stand distinct. That we believe that Christ died for the ungodly. And we'll see what that means in just a moment. But that Christ did it. Someone else for us in our place. That we cannot radically define our own reality, our own existence, our own universe, the meaning of our human life. Someone else must do it for us. We might say that in the year 2023 and going forward, this gives us opportunity again to stand distinct. That the Christian faith... Now, as no, in, in no other way previous in our own society, that we stand as outsiders, as different, as distinct, as the real radicals. I might say that the Christian faith is the new punk rock. Come on. We've got to have, got to be, some of us got to, I mean, we, we all, many of us grew up in the, with punk, right? To stand apart, to be different. Everyone else today, there's these these ideologies that we hear about every day, they are so mainstream that they are no longer outsiders looking in. We are the ones who are outsiders. Christ. Christ. Someone else. 
Someone else died for the ungodly. But who wants to die? I mean, again, our, our culture is all about living. It's all about living it up, living life to its full. But the Christian faith says you cannot really live unless there's a death. You cannot really live unless there is a death. Christ died. Christ died to give that life. The scriptures describe for us from the very beginning that God put a curse on the world. And he told our first parents in the garden that if they would eat of just that one tree, they would surely die. I've said before that God was the ultimate liberal in the beginning. He gave of everything freely to Adam and Eve. Just one tree, one test. Everything else was theirs but that one but, of course, they gave ear to the words of the devil and they fell into that curse of everlasting death. The curse of death. Christ died under that curse. Our common human curse that we are all going to die. Christ died. And we sang about that in Psalm 22. Uh, we read about that in Isaiah 52 and 53 that comes to its fulfillment and its fruition, its reality there in the gospel story, John's gospel, chapter number 19 and elsewhere, that Christ died under that ancient curse for sin. Christ died. And notice perhaps the most important word in the little statement from Romans chapter 5, Christ died for the ungodly, for the most important word in that little sentence is the preposition, who pair, for. That, that Christ died in the place of, in the place of the ungodly. The ungodly. Again, the Christian message is counter-cultural. It is so different. It is so radically opposed to the ideology that we hear every single day that we can define our reality. The Christian faith rebukes that message. That cultural gospel of radical, unlimited freedom that says to you and to me every single day, just do it. Or you can do it. You can have it your way. You can define your identity, your personhood, your reality. What does the gospel say to that? No, you can't. No, you can't. Christ died for, in the place of, ungodly sinners. The gospel says to all those who surrender, who surrender, their feeble attempts at self-identification, at self-creation, at trying to create your own reality, the gospel comes and says to you, who can't do that, Christ says, I can. You cannot do it, but I can. Christ died for, or meaning in the place of, the ungodly. Christ died for the ungodly, notice. He died in the place of the ungodly. <clears throat> and 
And that little word, ungodly, from the time of Homer all the way down to the New Testament, in all Greek literature, this word speaks of reverence, it speaks of worship, it speaks of adoration, and it, so it speaks of the one who offers that reverence and worship and adoration as devout or God-fearing or godly. To be godly is to give, give oneself up to God, to reverence God, not self, to worship God, not self, to adore God, not self. But does the statement in Romans 5, verse 6, does it say Christ died for the godly? Does the statement say Christ died for the godly? The opposite, right? The ungodly. It's those who will not reverence and worship and adore and fear God, but who do that to themselves. Those are the ones for whom Christ died. The ungodly. The ungodly. Well, how dare you misidentify me as an ungodly sinner? Believe it or not, it's true. Whether or not you believe it or not tonight that you are an ungodly sinner, it doesn't matter what you believe, what you feel. What matters is that God says it. Now, deep down inside, you know this is true. All the problems in our society are due to this reality, that we ultimately love self. We love ourselves. We do not love God. We do not submit ourselves to God. We want to create reality for ourselves. There's a pro- there are lots of problems in our society. These all stem from selfishness, self-idolatry, self-worship, self-realization. Christ died for the ungodly. Not the holy, but the unholy. Christ died not for the righteous, but the unrighteous. Christ died not for the just, but the sinner. Christ died not for those who love God, but those who hate God. Not those who love neighbor as self, but those who hate neighbor. And who love themselves more. Christ died for the ungodly. That's the gospel. That's the good news to you tonight. Why? Why would Jesus of Nazareth, why would he die a shameful, painful, heinous execution under the Romans? Why would he do this for in the place of others? Do you know why Paul says Christ died for the ungodly? Because of God's love. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. But God, being rich in mercy, the apostle says, because of the great love with which he loved us. And John, the the apostle whom Jesus loved, speaks of God who loved us. And gave himself, speaking of Jesus Christ, who loved us and gave himself a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. 
Not that we loved him, but that he first loved us. Why would Christ die for the ungodly? Because of the love of God for a sinner like you. Now, we're, we are told every single day, and uh, this has become a part of our uh, American reality, love is love, right? I mean, we all know that statement. Whether or not we like it or not, it's, it's a part of our culture. Love is love. And I got news for you tonight. No, it's not. There's God's love. There's God's love. His His eternal, deliberate, intentional choice to give his son for your good. There's that love. And then there's all the other kinds of love that we try to approximate and we try to attempt to express and show. There's God's love and there's everything else. On the one hand, we might say, well, love is love is a tautology. It's just a, it's a logical fallacy. Uh, or, you know, to, to use sort of the, uh, back in the old days in school, you know, when, when our teachers would tell us, those of us older, uh, and they would say to us, well, you, 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 when you write out your definitions by hand with pencils, right, on lined paper, you cannot use the same word to define that word. So what's the definition of love? Well, you can't say to love. You've got to define it some other way, right? That's a tautology. Love is love. But on the other hand, we want to express what Paul says here, what Jesus says, what the prophet says, what the psalm says, that there's God's love, his eternal benevolence and graciousness, his choice to give of himself, his own son, for our good. Not for his own, but for ours. There's that. That's what love is. Choosing to give oneself to someone else for their good, not yourself. There's that love of God and there's everything else. Why did Christ die for the ungodly? Because God loves sinners. Why did Christ die for the ungodly? Because you can't. You can't in your sins. You can't in your ungodly state. You can't in your inability. You cannot do anything to remove, to remove that sin that what Paul describes there as ungodliness. You can't remove that barrier between God and you. You can't jump the chasm between God and you by your own efforts. You can't wash the stains out of your spiritual clothes to clean yourself up to stand before God. Christ died for the ungodly. That's the gospel tonight. That's why we're here tonight, to sing, to pray, to hear, to meditate, and to express love to a God who has so radically loved us that he gave his own eternally begotten son for your and my ultimate good so that we can be accepted by God and to be known by God, and to be loved by him, and to love him in return for all of eternity. And so tonight, believe this gospel. Christ died for the ungodly. Are you ungodly? Are you a sinner? Have you broken one of God? Just just, even just one 
of God's commands. Then Christ died for you. Let's give him praise tonight.